If you have your Bibles, it may take you a little while to find where we're going this morning. So I want to give you adequate time. But we're going to Habakkuk. Right, I'm, I don't know about you guys. I, John came in this morning, and he was excited about church. And he's, I was like, why are you so excited? He goes, we're starting a new chapter, a new book. <laughs> and so for some of you, like, what? What's? I mean, okay, so it took us a little over 15 months to get to the Gospel of John. And so um, there was 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. There's only three in Habakkuk, so it won't take us 15 months. But, um, but anyway, so Habakkuk, it's in the Minor Prophets. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far, just turn back a few pages and you should, you should find it. Um, but let's go ahead and we're going to pray for the servant. I mean, actually, I'm going I'm to read some scripture here first and then we're going um, to pray. Today we're going to try and tackle all of the, the first chapter of Habakkuk, but I want to just read the first passage here, um, and then we're going to dig into it. So Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. But the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning, first, God, I want to ask that you um, be with those downstairs. It's this so important lesson is presented to the children about Nicodemus. This conversation that Jesus had, that you had with Nicodemus, and that verse, for most of us up here, that verse, that first verse we ever memorized, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. God, I ask right now this morning that you just, um, you give Courtney and those who are working down there the words to say, the way to present it. Lord, I pray that you tenderize the hearts of those children, that you open them and, and that it's received, Lord. And I pray, I do pray this morning, God, that there may be some, some children downstairs that give their life to you for the very first time. Um, Lord, I pray that you be with us now in, in our service. God, um, this is a, a book that I've, personally been wrestling with for a while, God, and, um, and I quite honestly stand before our people um, with a great sense of trepidation. And so, Lord, I pray that you use um, my weakness for your glory. I pray that you allow me to use your words. I pray that we're faithful to your text. God, I pray that that your word is the focal point here today. And, and Lord, I do believe fervently with all my heart that when your word is uplifted, you bless. And so, God, I pray that you use this Old Testament book, make it fresh in our life today. God, may we become people, a faith family, that's known as being just, not in our own actions. Righteous, not in the way we live May we be found righteous by our faith in you alone. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you use today's service to change lives and see souls saved. In your son's beautiful and precious name we pray. Amen. Um, as I prayed, I, I, I'm going to just be forthright and honest with you guys. Um, this has been a book that I've, I've been reading through for, um, through and through for a while now, and it's a book that, um, I, quite honestly, I've I've wrestled with. Um, I think I, for for some here this morning, this may be the first time you've opened up into Habakkuk. Um, for others, maybe this is a book that you 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 know, you remember from the sword drills when Sunday school. Um, maybe for some, it's something you read, but it's been such a long time. But this particular book is raw. You see the raw emotion of a prophet. It's unlike any of the other minor prophets. And we say minor prophets, please don't think that means these minor prophets were insignificant. They were far from insignificant. The reason they they get that term minor prophet is a lot of those books are smaller chapter-wise, content-wise in nature. 
What makes Habakkuk different than all the other prophets, though, is as you read the other minor prophets, you have this kind of continual theme. God talks to the prophet, tells the prophet to go tell the people to do X, Y, Z, to change, to, to do whatever. So it's God to the prophet and the prophet to the people. That's the normal flow, but Habakkuk's different. You have a broken, burdened Habakkuk going to God, and then God going back to Habakkuk and back and forth throughout this chapter. And so it's different. It's not Habakkuk being told to go to a people. It's this wrestling match between God and Habakkuk. Habakkuk's name um, means one of two things. It means embraced or wrestle. And in this passage, we can see that name being, placed out, play, or being played out, that one, he's um, embracing God, and then when we get to, finally when we get to chapter 3, we see God embracing Habakkuk. And then all throughout, especially the first two chapters, we see Habakkuk wrestling with God. And this is what my conviction is about us as a faith family. I think that it is important for us to go through doctrine and theology. Okay, I, I think that we live in a culture today, quite honestly, that, um, that has an elementary level understanding of, of, those, of doctrine and theology. So I think it's important that we study those things. But, but doctrine for the sake of doctrine or theology for the sake of theology without practice means nothing. It means, in essence, all we're doing is we're trying to create a new school of Pharisees today. And my heart is this. Like, I want to see Scripture come alive, alive in my life. Like, I want to see God's Word come alive. And so how is this going to affect me? How do, how do I play into this? And this particular passage, this particular book, to me... I'm here all the time. I wrestle with God all the time. One of the things I think that we get fearful of is, as Christians, we have to put on our nice clothes. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like, I wore khakis today for the first time, and I, I, I don't even know how long. And somebody in our congregation told me I looked, what was the term? Southern proper today. Southern proper. I'm not really sure what that meant. Southern proper. But what ends up happening is this. So often in like our Christian walk, like when we come to church, we put on the right clothes, the, the nice clothes, and we pretend that life is good, everything's fantastic, marriage is great, my children are adorable, and everything, right? Work is amazing. I'm up for another promotion. I have so much money in the bank I don't know what to do with. My house is too big. Like, that's the game that we play. When reality is, most of us live in a world so far from that. We are people that are just completely honest. That We are so tired from trying to play a game. And my heart's desire for us at Redemption Hill is that we are just authentic, real people. And sometimes, I don't know where it happened, but we have this mindset that we can't question God. That we can't wrestle with God. And that's not what we see here in Habakkuk. That first few verses that we read there, you see Habakkuk. Let me start again in verse 2. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry? Okay, that first cry there, that's just a, how often do I have to ask? How often do I have to come for help? And you will not hear. Anybody in the room, you don't have to raise your hand, but has anybody in this room prayed a prayer and you feel like God's not listening? Like, I mean, you've been faithful. You've been praying. You may be, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's your relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's, when will my kids finally listen to me? Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a vocational situation. But whatever it is, you pray, you pray, you pray. But it doesn't seem to change. And maybe you get to that point where you're like, 
why do I even pray anymore? What's the point? Like, I'm praying, but is he even listening? And that's where Habakkuk is. And then the next end of verse 2, he says, or cry to you. That word cry there, now he's getting more vocal, more passionate, more zealous. Like, yeah, I've been praying, but now it's getting intense. And cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? One of those questions I think we all face in our faith journey. And it's one of those questions that doesn't have a clear-cut answer. But why do good things seem to happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? I mean, let's be honest. How many of us have ever wrestled with that question? How many of us have seen what we perceive that situation to play out? I mean, if you watch the news, don't we see that all the time? I mean, this stuff that took place in France, when you have these group go in there and slaughter a bunch of people, like, that's not fair, is it? Like, those people, I'm not, I don't, I've never met them, I can't justify whether they were good or bad, but they didn't deserve that, did they? And so we can sit back and think, how is that fair? How is that fair that they can, they can run in there and do those things? Most of us can recall 9-11, can't we? And we begin to watch the news and we begin to see these buildings going down. And our minds were like, how in the world can that happen? It's not fair, especially when we begin to watch and hear stories of those who passed. It's not fair. In our own personal lives, like we work so hard. Right? We try and not cut any corners at work. We try to do everything right. And the guy next to us cuts the corners. And when it comes time to promotion, who gets it? He does. It's not fair. Why is it? Why does he get promoted and I don't? Maybe even in our own relationships, in our own marriages, where one just prays and, and there's a distance in the relationship and maybe one is trying to, to seek God and the other one wants nothing to do with God and you just pray and you pray and you're begging God for that person to come back and it doesn't happen. Or you say that prayer for years and instead of getting better, it seems to get worse. Come on, guys. We've all, in some way, shape, or form, have been there before. I want to tell you guys this morning. One of the things I think is so needed when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ is honesty. Y'all think Jesus has shoulders strong enough to carry those questions? I mean, do you think Jesus has shoulders strong enough for you in raw emotion to go to him questioning? I do. In fact, I would, I believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus would rather us in raw, honest emotion go to him than for us to just fake it and pretend like it's okay. What's he so upset about? What's Habakkuk so upset about? Verse 3 says, um, Why do you make me see this iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. We don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk. And a lot of the other prophets, they'll give us benchmarks. This occurred in the reign of so-and-so. We don't necessarily have that, but we can kind of piece together um, what's said here to find a general time frame in which this is being written. More than likely, this passage, this, this book, was written somewhere around um, 609 B.C. Habakkuk um, is living around the same time that we see Zephaniah and Jeremiah. And we read throughout Jeremiah, Jeremiah for 40 years 
is pleading with the people of Judah, the people of Israel, to change, to change, to change. And they ignore it. A lot of us who grew up in church, maybe we remember the story of Josiah, Second Chronicles. Josiah, eight years old, becomes the king. Like that would be weird, wouldn't it? But he becomes king at eight years old. Israel has turned its back on God. It's very distant, very rebellious. Josiah becomes king. And during his reign, they were cleaning out the temple, and they came across the law, the scripture. It was to the point, like, it was, Israel was so turned from God, like, there wasn't even God's word. I couldn't even find it. And they're sitting there cleaning the temple, and they come across it. And so Josiah reads it, and it changes his life. It changes his perspective, and he begins to turn to God. And so he, he, he creates all these different reforms, ushering this Christian nation once again, which sounds amazing, right? And don't we, every four years when an election comes up, we begin to really pray over the, our next president, which is good. Please do that. But we have these expectations that if so-and-so becomes elected, then he's going to pass these kind of laws. It's going to change this. And once again, we become a Christian nation. And the truth is, and we see that through Josiah, is you cannot, you cannot make religion forced upon people. You cannot politicize faith. And so what ends up happening is what looks like this great revival in the land is very shallow. And once the one who pushes the revival dies, his son, sons take over. Jehoiakim more than likely is the king of Judah during the time of Habakkuk. And he had gone the opposite direction of his dad. Very evil, very vile. And those same people who were caught up in this religious revival now were following in the footsteps of Jehoiakim. And so you have this land that's become very rebellious. It's turned its back on God. You know, um, it's hard to not read this and think about our own country our own world. Um, you know, I was thinking through this the other day, and today is um, Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's a day that oftentimes we talk about life, young and old. Let me, let me share a few things with you just to kind of help give us a snapshot they, they, the last time, I guess, according to the data that I saw, they had information relative to the number of abortions performed was 2011. 2011, they estimate 1.06 million abortions were performed in the United States. From 1973 through 2011, they estimate nearly 53 million abortions were performed. Isn't that amazing? That, that's, we, we can use that term abortion, but then we, we disconnect the life attached to that. Like that's our country. The, the world that we live in, Is violent. Well, we, again, we can turn on the news. I, I was talking to my father about this today. I've stopped watching the news. Like I, I, again, part of it was this. Like I just can't handle it anymore. Like I, I just, it's just too much. And I'm not gonna stick my head in the sand. And but I had to take a break from it. I just couldn't handle it anymore. It's violent. And and listen, as Christians, this to me average of 180 Christians around the world are killed a month based solely on their faith. It's 180 people that are killed worldwide per month 
based solely on their faith. We turn the TV on all the time and we see these commercials um, that rip our hearts out about those who are hungry and poverty in the world. Um, Again, statistically, they estimate that every day almost 16,000 children die from food-related causes. 16,000. That's tough to swallow, isn't it? Let me try and bring this back to our states, though, where we live. We've seen so much played out, and we've talked about, and I've used examples about how we've seen um, the course of our country change from the way we define marriage I believe we are at 37 states now that allow same-sex marriage. Um, this is the, the country that we live in, and I will tell you this, that before too long, it's going to not just be 37, but it's going to be all of the states. This is where we're at. It's a battle that, I'm, unfortunately, I believe has already been lost. Now, it doesn't mean we don't stand up against what God's ordained as the right view of marriage. Um, the legalization of drugs, the marijuana. I mean, guys, I believe, honestly, unfortunately, I believe in the not-so-distant future that, again, there'll be a national amendment that will legalize marijuana. I'm not trying to be Habakkuk. I'm not trying to be a prophet. But I just think that's the road in which we're headed to where you, you see... Um, Definitions of things that were created biblically long ago, but nationally from the beginning for us, our country. As to show the, the immorality in our country, like these statistics, they say um, that over 11,000 adult movies are produced a year in the United States which is 20 times, 20 times the normal mainstream industry. That every second, 3,075.64 is spent on pornography. California alone employs over 12,000 people in the adult industry. And they pay over $36 million a year in taxes. Worldwide, worldwide, they estimate sales in that industry as exceeding $97 billion dollars. Like, I see that. I see the world that we live in. I'm like most of you guys. I've got young kids. And I stand before God. I, I, I knelt here this week at that cross. And I'm like, God, it can't, it can't, what is going on? What are my kids going to grow up in? What, what if I helped hand it to them? Why is all this happening? And we're supposed to be a Christian nation. And we pray for revival. You can't tell me like every church almost in America isn't praying for revival. Where is it, God? Where is it? Verse 5 in Habakkuk. Jesus, or God, enters the conversation. And he says this. He goes, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm 
doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Okay, so you read this and you're like, yes, here he comes on the white horse. Right, he's going to come, he's going to bring revival to the land, and this is going to be awesome. So let's see what happens. Verse 6 says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and make it. Then they sweep by like wind and go on, guilty men, whose own might is their God. And so this long-awaited answer that Habakkuk finally gets from God is, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are coming, and they're going to conquer you. They're going to wipe you guys out. problem is these Babylonians, these Chaldeans, I mean, they were, they were worse than Judah. I mean, these were vile people. At, at this time, they, were, they had already conquered the Assyrians, and they were the world power. They were dominant. I mean, there was no question who the big dog was. It was the Babylonians. And they were not, they were, they were, there was nothing gentle about these people. They, they worshiped multiple gods. They, they were vile, they were immoral, not good people. They're not the guys that you would want your daughter to bring home. And then you have Judah, Israel, where Habakkuk's at. Like, that's God's chosen nation. Like, we read about in the Old Testament, like, they're supposed to be the protected ones. All these special promises for them. And yet God's going to allow this other army of, of immoral, disgusting, filthy people to come in and ravage his people. Wow. Like how would you like to be Habakkuk when your long-awaited answer is that? Like that's not what you want to hear, is it? Like you want to hear... Okay, I'm going to bless you now. Well, here's your promotion. I'm, I'm going to bless you now. Your marriage is restored. We don't want the answer to be, okay, here's your answer. You're fired. Or here's your answer. Divorce. Husband's left you. Wife's left you. It's not what we want. You know, we see this theme woven throughout the Old Testament. You guys remember the story of Joseph, right? Remember young Joseph? Gets that coat of many colors? We all remember that story. He's celebrated. He's, he's dad's favorite. Boom. Son, here you go. Fancy coat. That's why we don't wear fancy clothes at church. You might get thrown in a pit. So you got... You got Joseph, he celebrated, boom, and, and Joseph wasn't perfect, right? He goes around and starts bragging to his brothers. Look at my jacket, and I, ooh, I got a direct line to God, and one day you all are going to bow at me. Like, that's probably not something that would have been good for him to do. But the result is he's, he's sold off into slavery, right? Like, that's not something you would enjoy, is it? No. And it wasn't like he was just sold off into slavery. You have these years now in which it's slavery and being imprisoned, distant from God, foreign land, no, no one. But yet God redeems the situation, doesn't he? God uses that situation to rise up Joseph. Later on, we'll restore the family, but because of those circumstances, Joseph is placed in this amazing spot that not only does he save his family, but he saves a nation. 
like Moses. Remember where he finds out, he kind of figures out, oh, I guess I'm not really Pharaoh's birth child. Whole story, he runs off, he ends up killing the guard there, and he runs away, and for several years, he's a shepherd. Like, he goes from living high in the hog, right? Being, like, celebrated. Being part of the royal family, having anything and everything he wants. All sorts of power in his hands to where he's tending sheep in a field far away. Working for his father-in-law. My father-in-law's here, so I'm not going to. But, like, those are polar opposites, aren't they? But yet God uses that time tending sheep to where he would ultimately go and see this burning bush, that God would use that experience to draw him, to pull the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, which is great, right? Except then they spend 40 years wandering around in the desert. There's a lot of brokenness in Moses. What about, da- what about David? Right? Young David, he, he, he's a shepherd boy. He gets anointed as king as a young child. And throughout his childhood, teenage years, early adulthood, he's being pushed and chased around by King Saul. He was ordained, anointed as a child to be the king. But yet there's a lot of things that occur between that time when Samuel anoints him to the time where he actually takes the throne, isn't there? And a lot of it's not celebrated. A lot of it's not stuff that he thinks, wow, this is awesome. Can't wait for that to happen again. Can't wait for the king to throw another spear at me. But that's what happened. Habakkuk has a problem with this answer that God gave him. Verse 12 says, um, in Habakkuk's response back to God, are you not the everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his net. And by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So back it comes, he's like, okay. he comes back to God, and he's like, God, you are the everlasting one. Like, I'm not questioning that. You are powerful. And so... Maybe you've played this game before. So now you try and play a little theological game with Jesus. And that's what Habakkuk does. He's like, okay, God, so your eyes are so pure, you cannot see evil. And if that's the case, why are you going to use it? Why are you going to stand by idly and let it occur? And then he goes on and talks about, these, when he starts talking about these, the nets there, but first he talks about you make mankind like fish the sea, and then he talks about these nets, and that idea that nets is um, uh, an illustration of the Babylonians. And he's saying, you made so many people, it's like fish and these creatures of the sea. But these Babylonians, they come in, and they just grab these nets, and they rip them out of the ocean, out of the water. And they just keep doing it and keep doing it to the point where at the end, like, there's more than they need. Like, they, it's not, they don't, they're not fishing for need anymore. To the point where they're just taking the nets, they're throwing the fish on the beach and just letting it rot. And he's like, and these are the people 
That's what they're, they're doing that to the people. Like They're going, they're invading nations. They don't care about the nations. They're killing, they're murdering, they're just taking over, and they don't care what they leave behind. They just leave destruction behind. Like, God, how are you allowing this to happen? How can you ordain this to occur? This is tough stuff, isn't it? I believe this. um, If anybody has told you that being a Christian is easy, I want to apologize publicly because they told you a lie. It's not. There's nothing simple. There's nothing easy about it. The minute we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have this bullseye on our back. It's difficult. It's hard. What I find so awesome is this. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, just turn back a little bit to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, it's a psalm that David wrote. And we see the same or a similar passion in David that we see in Habakkuk. I want to just read a couple of these verses to you. Starting in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Doesn't that sound like Habakkuk? God, my God, my God. And you know what's amazing is, we see that same passage, that same verse mentioned in Matthew 26 by Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's real Christianity. That's real, legitimate faith. But this is what I want to encourage us with today. Habakkuk. David, and obviously Jesus alike, they didn't wallow in what was going on around them. Because this is what I like about this passage. After the groaning of David, seen in verse 1 and 2, he says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. I would encourage you guys this week. You you go back, maybe even today, you read the rest of Psalm 22. And you see this. David, he's wrestling like, I don't get this, God. But you know what? I trust in you. Next week... Verse 4 of Habakkuk chapter 2 is the theme of the entire book. And we see where Habakkuk says that the righteous or the just shall live by faith. That's one of those things we like to put on a coffee mug. A nice little slogan. But when it collides with our life, it's a different story, isn't it? And that's when we really see what we're all about. I read a story this week, and you probably heard it before. It's a long time back in history, before I was born. Before youth would say it was a long time ago. There was, in the Chicago area, a uh, well-known evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, um, strong, fervent preacher, 
And under his influence, there's a man by the name of Horatio Stafford who came to know Christ. It's interesting because Horatio was a very well-to-do person. I mean, one of the richest people in Chicago at the time. God had used him. God had blessed him. He had um, attained all sorts of whatever, whatever we could hope and dream for. He had attained. And he was living for God. He was doing, he was helping D.L. Moody. And, he, and many times he would travel along with D.L. Moody, offer encouragement and learn and all sorts of good stuff. He was part of D.L. Moody's team, if you will. Well, he ends up, um, D.L. Moody was going over to England for a crusade. And um, Horatia thought, you know, this might be a good time for, for me, me and my family to get away for a little bit beforehand. And so he, um, he and the family are all going to go over to, to England right before this crusade thing takes place. So they get everything ready. They're set, get ready to go. And then last minute, something came up that caused Horatia to stay there and finish some business before he could go over to England. So he sends his wife and four kids off. They leave, and he receives word later on that this cruise ship had collided with another ship and sank. And all of his children sank with the ship. His wife survived, but the rest were gone. A year prior to that experience, The majority of his homes that he owned that were part of his wealth burned in that great Chicago fire. One year prior to that, his only son passed. In a two-year span, that's a lot to handle, isn't it? Horatio boards a ship and is making his way to England. And um, to, to meet up with his wife. And he um, hears a door, a knock on his door. They came to get him and, and told him as best that they could understand, as best as they knew, they were going over the spot where this accident occurred. And so you have Horatio goes to the deck. Now I can only imagine the emotion. If I put myself in his shoes, what I would do. More than likely, my heart would be full of anger, strife. But Horatio was different. It was there that he penned what would become a very well-known hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. Let me read this to you. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. For me, 
be it Christ. Be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine. For in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. Life is hard. And so often there's no easy answers. Faith is difficult. If we knew the outcome, if we knew what was going to happen, if we knew what was going to occur, would it require faith? No. The amazing thing is this. Our faith is not like the faith of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. It's not based on us. It's not based on our own strength. It's not based on on our own talents, our own abilities. No, our faith is rooted in Jesus Christ, the same Jesus Christ that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if Jesus Christ died for us out of love, like our children downstairs are learning this morning. He's going to protect us. Now what that protection looks like, I can't tell you. And life may come all apart here. But we only have to endure, albeit maybe difficult, a few years here. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ, and have accepted him as their Lord and Savior, then we get to rejoice with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I promise you, we will sing, It is well with my soul, with big old smiles, because we don't even understand how amazing it will be in heaven. My challenge for you Tomorrow myself is to not wallow in things I can't control. To do God, to do what God has called and do what God has directed with all my heart. But then let him be God. And what he decides is best is going to be way better than any plan that I could craft. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for this reminder in Scripture. Sometimes I think we can play this game. I can play this game, Lord, where it just feels like, man, it's so bad. It's so rough. It's, it's no different than Habakkuk's day, God. Or we do live in a country, in a world that's broken, that's dark. It's getting darker by the second, God. And we do pray for revival. I, mean, we, I pray, God, that you, you, cause, you unleash the Holy Spirit in ways that we've not seen. Lord, I believe it's within your power. I know it is. Scripture talks about it, shows it. Lord, it's all within your power. God, I come before you. I don't know your plan. I don't need to know it. But I I pray that you help us to find rest in you. Lord, help us not to fake out our Christianity. Lord, you don't want us to be that way with you. Lord, help us to to come before you and say, my God, my God, why, why, why? But not just stay there. We see in chapter 3 how Habakkuk ultimately responds, but God, like we read about David this morning, that even though we don't understand, even though we feel like we're being forsaken, we can step back and say, but yet you are holy you're a holy God. So while I might not understand it, you're holy. You're in control.
Help us to find the peace. That same peace that allowed Horatio Stafford to say, in the midst of all the heartbreak in his life, in the midst of the loss and the hurt, to say, it is well. It is well in my soul. So God, this morning we ask that you do a great work. Encourage those who need encouragement. Call those who who don't know you as their Savior, Lord, today. Help them to find the answer they've been searching for. We love you, God. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to ask for you all to stand. If uh, this is your first time here, let's help you understand. We don't necessarily do altar calls or whatever you want to call it. Um, We're going to sing the song in its entirety. I believe it's Praise Thy Faithfulness. Is that right? Um, Fitting for today. Um, In that, um, I, I would encourage you, let this passage of Habakkuk stir in you. Let it marinate. I mean, consider Habakkuk. Consider what we talked about today. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you're facing. But I have a strong suspicion that we're all wrestling with something. I gave you guys, um, or Dennis actually put in that seats, a blank three-by-five card. Here's what I would like to ask you to consider doing. In this time of invitation, through the song, um, maybe through the prayer later on, you might be wrestling with God right now. A question question of why, whatever. I want to encourage you to write that down on that card. And then when the basket comes around for the offering, I would encourage you to put that in the basket. If you, the only one who's going to look at it is going to be me. If you want to put your name on it, that's fine. I can pray for you specifically. If you don't feel comfortable with that, that's fine too. God knows who you are. I don't need to know. But if you're wrestling with a why in life that's just plaguing you right now, I want you to write that down on that card. And I want you to put that in that basket. And almost in a way in which you're symbolizing, you're saying to God, I'm giving this to you. I don't know the answer to it. I'm going to pray through this. I will continue to pray through this. Verse number two, or verse number one of Habakkuk 2 tells us that after this conversation with God, Habakkuk says, I'm going to the watchtower and I'm going to wait. We might be in the watchtower waiting right now. But we can't wallow in it. And so I'm going to encourage you to write down that that thing you're wrestling with God over and put it in the basket. I'm going to pray for him all this week. Um, But I'm going to encourage you to do that. And then when we're done with this song, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes, bow their heads. And I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you guys. But, But let's make this a very special time. I mean, this is a time for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart and in your life. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Thanks, guys.